Today's episode is brought to you by JobAdder. Most of us already know or use JobAdder for finding great talent faster. But what you probably don't know is all the exciting stuff in the pipeline. So to get the inside scoop, join us on the 18th of May when we sit down with JobAdder's head of product, Tom Dyson. As a JobAdder user myself, I'm excited for what's to come. So make sure to tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Build, nurture and search your talent pools with ease using JobAdder. Discover more at jobadder.com and don't forget to tell them. Tarpod sent you. Get ready, it's Tarpod time. We talk talent, recruitment, and everything in between. So strap in and prepare yourself for a dose of knowledge tied up in a ribbon of fun. Now, please join your hosts and industry leaders, Lauren Sharp and Craig Watson. Hi everyone, welcome to Tarpod. I'm Craig. And I'm Lauren. And today's special guest is Anthea O'Loughlin, who is the Manager of Talent Acquisition at Eris Resources Limited in Queensland. <laughs> welcome, wow. Anthea. Don't say that 10 times too fast, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Lauren. It is a, big of a, t- a bit of a tongue tie, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Eris Resources Limited. <laughs> And Anthea, you, I mean, we're going to get into a lot of things about what you've been doing most recently oh, yeah. and even in the past, but if you wouldn't mind being a first-time guest, maybe just going back through your career a little bit, spending a couple of minutes telling us how you started and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I started in Sydney back in the very early 90s, mm-hmm. um, a long time ago. I was originally working in um, finance and I worked for a stockbroking firm called Prudential Beige. Yeah. And these people used to come to the office and they were very glamorous, always in twos, holding compendiums. (laughs) And I used to watch them and go, who are they? And I said to one of my colleagues, like, who are those two people? They come in every week and, you know, they they just look so glamorous. And he said, oh, they're the recruiters. I was like, what? Because they're the recruiters. I was like, like oh, I've got to do do that. (laughs) So uh, I wanted a compendium and I wanted to walk around Sydney in in twos. So um, I got my first job with Julia Ross back in the early 90s in Sydney. Yeah, long time ago and uh, it was... It was a wild ride. It was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, um, but great rewards. And uh, Julia really uh, knew how to reward you back oh, in those great. days. That's wow, great. that's that's a. And then when did you go in, internal? I went internal uh, before the Commonwealth Games um, with Hastings Deering, so who is the Queensland Caterpillar dealer? Dealer. Um, so that's the heavy um, heavy mining equipment cat. Uh, so that was about 2000 and gosh, 12, I think, um, moved internal and I've been trying for a while to go internal and I kept getting the, oh, you don't know anything about internal recruitment. You're an agency recruiter. And I couldn't, I couldn't work it out because, you know, isn't, didn't we all do the same thing? Uh, and Hastings Deering gave me a go and, uh, that was fantastic. So started there in, uh, 2012. Yeah, wow. it's, it's funny because I know when I went from agency to internal, I um, thought, how hard can it be? Just resourcing. Yeah. It's not that hard. And there's so many more as- aspects to the whole job that you just don't realise until you get internal. Yeah. Absolutely. But what I do love about any recruiter uh, that has come from that agency uh, background is the pace. They've got mm. the pace and they've got the, the drive to 
to move it along and get the candidate across the line. And uh, that's one thing that I do look for in in all my staff is that, um, you know, that ability to to sort of push push the process through and not let it sit around for too long. Yeah, you've got to kill the unicorn hunters. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, talk, Absolutely. And if you're talking about pace, one of the really, really interesting parts of your career that I wanted to um, learn more about is the Commonwealth Games recruitment. Yeah. So tell us firstly how you yes. got into that role and then yep. give us, you know, a snapshot on what it was like because it would have been amazing, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I saw the job advertised. Um, it was it was on Seek and my heart stopped mm-hmm. when I saw it. Um, I was born on the Gold Coast. Yep. My mum still lives there um, and went all through my school years on the Gold Coast and, and um, you know, obviously it's got a special place in my heart. So when I saw that job advertised, it just, my heart just stopped. So I knew I had to apply for it um, and I did. It was uh, through an agency on the Gold Coast mm-hmm. and um, it started as, I, I think it was, you, you know, recruitment manager. I was around about the 50th person um, to join the the organising committee, the yep. Commonwealth Games yep. organising committee, and I really didn't know what to expect. It was mm. sort of... You know, you went in and and they'd sort of tell you these stories, but it, it just it wasn't until maybe three or six months later that it was like, oh my gosh, we've got to recruit how many people? Um, and uh, and and yeah, the journey was it was amazing. It was um, one of the best times of my life. So, how many did you have to um, recruit over at what yeah. period and in what sort of roles? Sure. So, from twenty fifteen through to twenty eighteen, it. You know, numbers grew. Workforce planning was a huge mm. um, uh, area of, of the Commonwealth Games and it was a bit of the, the heartbeat of everything that happened in the organising committee was that that organising, uh, that workforce planning team. Our budget was about 1,200. It crept up to about 1,400. I think it landed around 1,700. Wow. The first um, year was probably about 100 or so people. Mm-hmm. And then we got to, I think it would have been about 70%, maybe about 60% um, by the end of twenty, the last quarter of 2017. The big push came in that last three months of 2018. Sorry, the, la- the first three months of 2018 yep. ahead of the April Games in, in 2018. So... And that was one of the biggest challenges of the Commonwealth Games is everyone was like, oh, wow, I'd love to work there, mm. but your job's only three months, yeah. you know. So you've got to leave your job on the Gold Coast, um, and that was also a big push for the Queensland government. It was about jobs for locals, um, oh, and you've got to leave your job, but what you're actually going to do is only going to be for, for 12 weeks. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So was it hard to find people? Yes, it was. It was really hard. So there is a global community of gamers and right. these are people that go from games to games. So a lot of people from the Com Games would have gone over to the Olympics. You, you, we had competing um, platforms with the Winter Olympics are on around about the same time as the Commonwealth Games. And uh, and then there's so many different games in between. There's Invictus. There's, oh, gosh, any game you could think yeah, of, yeah. there is something in, in the world You could just um, travel the world it. working at these games. You could travel the world working for these uh, games. And they're called gamers. Oh. And they're called gamers. 
And um, new job for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, it gets a little tricky when you want to settle down and have family and yeah. buy a house. But um, you know, a lot of people do live a wonderful life um, for many years, um, roaming the world with these with games. And um, awesome. It's. It comes with some of the problems. You know, you work for a game and then you go to the next one and, and you you have a maybe a slightly unnatural progression because each time you go to a new game, you go up a level. Yep. And maybe in the real world, we used to talk about the real world a lot, the games, that progression wouldn't happen as quickly. No. Yeah. And, and what type of roles were the most common? Yeah, so... We had, we were almost a a mini city, I guess. So we had um, people, you know, from that design element straight away, um, the overlay, so everything in a stadium that was added to the stadium for the game, so all the signs. So there was a whole team that looked after the overlay. There was a team that was um, about doping, you know, about drug use in the games. There was a team about timing, so in the IT team, the timing of all those athletes and making sure it was correct, there was a huge workforce planning team, a huge HR team, um, marketing, it, it, anything you could think of, cleaning, you know, this yeah, massive everything. cleaning team, everything. Wow. Yeah. So what did you find the most difficult? So that, what, what roles were the hardest to fill? I think probably some of the overlay and, and also the timing yep. um, were the most very specific um, overlays, uh, you know, very complex, um, you know, what you can do with these stadiums, sure. you know, what they will allow. So when when you um, take over a stadium, you take ownership of that stadium. Um, so you, there's very strict rules about what the original stadium owner will allow you to do in that time frame and where you can put things up and temporary seating and, you know, some of these stadiums go from, you know, 30,000 to 50,000 seats. So how you get those extra seating in, it's it's really interesting. Wow. And, and apart from... Just imagine the logistics of trying to feed your staff, rostering your staff, yeah. getting your right. That would be yep. just 12 weeks of hell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, f- for that very short two weeks that the Games was on. And, and imagine if the imagine if the surf was up, all of the Gold Coast were just not, not turned up to work. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. I, so did you meet anyone famous? Uh, I, <laughs> um, I met Prince Andrew. Ooh. <laughs> Is it famous, not infamous? <laughs> so, um, oh, yes. So, uh, uh, you owned up to that too. <laughs> so Prince Andrew was um, came out. A oh, it was a couple, problem? maybe couple of maybe six months before the games. Um, that was interesting. Wow. Do you have a sweating problem? <laughs> Not that you noticed, right? <laughs> we might do that one offline. <laughs> oh, my God, you are sticking around after this show, girlfriend. I've got a hundred questions. Okay, so, so channels that you use to hire, you said there was the, mm-hmm. the global gamers. What other yes. channels? Because you've got um, – y- you also said that there was a real push to hire locally. Yeah, absolutely. So How do you we, get them out um, of the surf? Yeah, absolutely. So we had a great partnership with Seek um, who really helped us with our strategy. We also did a lot of the the traditional, um, you know, on buses and and the like um, on the train. So um, early on I realised that the 
the Gold Coast, as much as it is highly populated, it would be very difficult to find the number of staff that we wanted. So uh, I, I wrote one of many papers um, for the board and, and ultimately government, I guess, um, that, you know, that one hour um, t- um, loop around the Gold Coast, which included southeast Brisbane or southeast Queensland and Brisbane, was really our target market. So we did um, some bus, train um, advertising, we did radio advertising, and we went to a lot of career fairs, schools, yep. um, you know, in the lead up to, to the games, uh, did a lot of visits and spoke spoke to people about coming to work at the games. Imagine mm. getting that as a work experience gig. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, the 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 you know, the school leavers were a great candidate um source for us because, sure. you know, coming out of year twelve, um, what a great opportunity to work at the games. Yeah, yeah. And and imagine that there was a percentage of um, people that came into the region, particularly for those roles. Are they transient, or did some of them stay behind, or how do you? Yeah, do you- yeah. I think actually there was there was actually a, a good um, number of people that stayed behind, or maybe gamers that had come to to the Gold Coast yeah. and just fell in love mm. with um, the area and. Uh, maybe uh, met the love of their life on the Gold Coast oh. and uh, stayed a little bit longer. <laughs> Romance on the Goldie. So yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm not sure the exact year. I, I want to say maybe 2026. I don't know. Someone will correct me. Um, Melbourne or not Melbourne, Melbourne. regional Victoria are going yeah. to host the Games. Absolutely. Um, 2026, you're right. Oh, there you go. Do they um, lean on you for some advice? Would, would that happen? Yeah, look, um, they have started recruiting. Uh, There is something called the transfer of knowledge um, that is in the game industry um, and each game packages up all their information and then that's transferred on uh, to the next next game and that goes between Olympics and Commonwealth Games and some other large large multi-sport events as well. Um, that has definitely was, was done by um, Goldock or Gold Coast Commonwealth Games mm-hmm. and Melbourne would, would definitely have that information. But, yeah, uh, very open to obviously talking to anyone um, there. They're in early stages of, of recruitment at the moment. And it would be really interesting because, isn't it, I think four, three or four regions it's that they're hosting them in and they're all – Where are they? They're I'm all um, like Ballarat, um, South Gippsland <coughs> and Bendigo. one other region, maybe Bendigo. No, Geelong, yeah. Geelong. Maybe yeah. Geelong, Bendigo, South Gippsland, I think. They're the three yeah. areas. So it's not in Melbourne. And not too dissimilar to what's happening with uh, Brisbane 2032. So yeah, it is actually, it uh, you know, Sunshine Coast, um, Brisbane City Council's involved. I think Gold Coast is involved for that. So it's not just one host city. It's actually spread out. And oh. and I think you'll find when you look at the calendar for Brisbane and no doubt, you know, with um, with Victoria is, you know, a lot of the, the games leading up or the heats are in regional areas. It's very easy to get to those locations here from Melbourne as well. It, it, our train system's quite good down here. Correct, absolutely. So, and we're only a little state. We're just a little, yeah. just a little baby little state. state. So, no, it's good. Hey, Anthea, so that, that's, that was I really interesting, I think that's incredible, it? yeah. Really and I didn't know a whole community has followed this stuff around. <laughs> oh, my God, you learn something new every day. So I guess they're like... But, Fans as well. I mean, they'd be obviously they're working, but they'd be the type of people who'd be fans that want to Absolutely. follow these sort of events around the world. Yeah, to get paid for it. God, that'd be awesome. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, a, a really good um, group of uh, staff is the press operations. Mm-hmm. So press operations oh. are the people that are, um, you know, preparing the 
the media for um, for the games and they have an amazing life. They're following games all over the world and they come in right at the end. And our biggest um, our biggest challenge for this group was where were they going to live when they came here and we struck an agreement with some of the um, student accommodation providers on the Gold Coast. So students were heading out because the press were only here for a few weeks. Yep. Students were heading out for their holidays. Press came in and uh, stayed in. Bon into some- Bond Uni. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, at their question without notice. Oh, um, here we go. What was no, the- you can't go in any of the races <laughs> in any sport. Can you get me into a race? No. Like, um, no. What? was the weirdest role you had to recruit for on the Com Games? Was there something that said, oh, we need one of these, and you've gone, what the hell are you talking about? Budgie smuggler adjuster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, lifeguard Um, for the swimming. Actually, a really fun one was the the mass, the mass, or Borrowby. So there was a team um, Mm -hmm. that were in our mascot team, and they were. mascot team. Oh, that's you, Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of being sweaty. Oh, Almighty! Um, oh my uh, God, that's amazing! Yeah, it is. That's that's really, really, really interesting. I've always wondered, you know, um, you know, like at the Olympics and Commonwealth Games, and that at the swimming where they've got to have lifeguards. That's always very funny, isn't it? Yeah. The best swimmers yeah. in the world have got to have lifeguards <laughs> watching them. I know it's so funny, very, very funny, but it does make me giggle. Should we move on to Eris and I what know. you're doing currently? Because that was Commonwealth Games was a lifetime ago. It was a lifetime ago. You've Seems like yesterday, but it was a lifetime ago. Racking up frequent flyer miles this last month like there's no tomorrow, yeah. jetting all around Southeast Asia and Australia. So talk to us about your little trip to the Philippines. Yes, excellent. So Aeris Resources were a mid-tier um, metals provider, so hard rock, so copper, gold, um, zinc, um, and we're underground mining. And like any mining organisation in Australia, we are struggling to find people and particularly in the trades. So we uh, headed up to the Philippines to uh, interview um, tradespeople and it was it was really interesting. It was a little bit heartwarming um, and uh, we, uh, I think, you know, it's a long process. It's, it's not something that sort of, you know, snap you're on a plane and you come here. There is a, um, a lot of government on both sides of, of mm-hmm. both the Philippines and um, Australian government that we need to, hurdles that we need to cross. But it was um, it was fantastic to um, interview these people that really really want to come and work in Australia. Yeah, yeah. it's life changing because of our sal- different salaries and quality of life, and obviously being in FIFO workers, they get paid extra allowances and everything. They can change Correct. their whole entire family's way of life. Absolutely, and the way the you know the Philippines government promotes it is it. You know, the money goes back to the Philippines and um, it's not just maybe their immediate family, it's probably their village that they're um, also looking after. But, you know, just to give you an idea of that, you know, life-changing, you know, aspect, every candidate that we interviewed, you know, to relax them, they're very, you know, quite nervous. Um, I'd always ask them, where did you come from? And they tell me, you know, a town or something, which obviously I didn't know where that was. And I, how did you get here? And uh, one one young chap, he was in his late twenties, and he said, oh, "I rode my motorbike." I said, "Oh, how long did that take?" And he said, 10 hours." Oh, on his motorbike! Wow. Okay. Yeah, ten hours. Ten and hours I was just for the job interview. I'd just give it to him for that. Yeah, absolutely. There was another group that. I think came together and they caught a bus and the bus arrived at 3am and they sat and waited. Wow. 
Hey, from a logistics perspective, because I'm sure there's lots of people who are listening who are saying, wow, you know, we want to tap into overseas talent for certain areas. So questions like um, transfer of qualifications, do they match the trade um, people in Philippines? Yeah. Are they able to work at the same level as tradespeople in Australia? How do yeah. the, how do, what are the challenges around visa? If you could just go into a bit of that. Sure. So, yes, the visa is very complex. <laughs> um, uh, there are some countries that are exempt from having those trade qualifications. Unfortunately, Philippines is not one of those. So anyone from the Philippines needs to have a VET assess um, or a tertiary qualification assessment, and that is both um, their, I believe, their theory knowledge but also their practical mm. demonstration as well, and that's um, by a company that the Australian government has awarded to do that work for them. And they do that? That, sorry, in, in the home country? Yes, yeah, they're, they're across the world. Uh, so there's about, oh, I think, about six or eight c- countries that are not exempt that need to have that qualification verified. Mm. Then there's other countries, um, say, for example, Zambia in Africa, that is exempt, so they don't need that oh, qualification wow. check. Really? And Zambia does all their schooling, everything in English. So a great oh. opportunity exists in some countries, African countries, to recruit. Um, and uh, But then others, obviously, they, they need to have that assessment done mm. and their English. So the roles you're looking for to bring over, they're mostly trades? Um, trade, trade roles, correct. And all, so they gen- sorry. generally come for two to four years mm. um, and uh, some want to go back to their home. They're, they're, they're doing it to, you know, set them up for life mm. um, and obviously there will be people that are looking for permanent residency in Australia. So how many heads do you have to recruit in a year? Uh, we look reasonably small compared to some of the organisations I've worked for. So in terms of recruiting per annum for Aeris Resources, we're roughly sitting around that 300 recruits for the year. Um, so reasonably small. Um, you know, obviously your larger mining companies, BHPs, Rio Tintos are much, much bigger than us. Yeah. So how do you, obviously you're going overseas to get these candidates, what ratio would you have of the amount you'd find locally? Uh, we probably will sit around 5 or 10% of overseas migrants to our local workforce, so so very small. Okay. And in terms of I'm assuming that your operations and sites are fairly regional, like I'm talking really regional, not, yep. not even that close yeah, no, to. they've got a mine just off Flagstaff Gardens. <laughs> So we have four mines across Australia. Um, We have in Queensland, we have two. We've got um, North Queensland operations, which is between Mount Isa and Cloncurry. Mm -hmm. We've got Krakow, which is our gold mine. Um, And that is, you know, the Sunshine Coast? Yeah. You turn turn left and drive for about three three hours. Okay, right. Three hours on your left, okay? Yeah, three hours on your left. That's Um, pretty much a normal Australian direction, really. You just get to the Gold Coast. Turn left, go going. for three hours, then do the right after three hours and then just go about 20 clicks down there and you're fine. Make sure you shut the gate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Triton um, is our New South Wales mine and that's about two hours west of Dubbo, so not as far as Broken okay. Hill. Yep. Mm-hmm. Two hours west of Dubbo. And then our Western Australian mine is in literally the middle of WA. Um, it's about an hour 10 flight from Perth. And that's uh, the nearest town is Leonora, which is, I think, was about 40 minutes drive. So do, you, so do your sites Sun. have like little shops and things on them? So if people want to get provisions. You I want to become a FIFO worker. I'm just interested in knowing about it. <laughs> 
Yeah, they do. They've got great, great um, shops. So um, our Jaguar in WA has a great shop. So I actually popped in there um, when I was there last week. So we're going on a road trip to Kalgoorlie. So yeah. I went and got some some supplies for the three hours and, um, the, you know, it's like a little mini corner milk bar store sort yeah, of yeah. thing. Um, and what I do love is that they keep the prices at, they're not there to make a profit. They keep it at reasonable prices. Oh, so oh, probably nice. wasn't too far from what I'd, I'd pay on the corner store here. I wonder where the nearest Dan Murphy's is. <laughs> I think you'll find that most of these are dry sites. Are they? Oh, dear. Um, there goes mine. They're not dry? No. Oh. No. Hey, with the people from the Philippines, so let's say that you you go through your interviews, um, they mm-hmm. do their assessments, everything's good. Just – Circling back, just about the visas. So what sort of is the wait time and and how do you process them, those sort of things? Sure. So uh, we use a migration agent to assist us. Wait time is about, I'd I'd like to say six months. Um, It is dependent on how quickly they get in for that fit assess. So my message to the managers is between six and nine months. Right. And then when they come on site. That should be no more than three months to turn this around. Well, that's the government, isn't it? Um, when they're on site, obviously there's accommodation and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you you said that you contract them for how long usually? Two to four so years. So the, the visa is between two and four years, um, depending on what the organisation wants to do. Um, I We're bringing in some Africans at the moment as well um, and – they are hoping to bring their families with them um, and we'll provide assistance there. So depending on what site they're going to, so our New South Wales site actually has a residential town called Ningen, mm-hmm. which is a really pretty little town on um, on a beautiful so river, um, great fishing apparently. Um, and a lot of them do look to settle in, in the residential town. So they really like to join the community and integrate into the community, um, which is, I think, great for regional towns in Australia. And for a lot of people overseas, is Australia still seen as like a dream destination, somewhere where, you know, I really want to get to Australia? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, particularly if they've got uh, young families that look to come with them. They know that we've got great schooling. Um, They do pay more than what you and I would pay for their schooling. They pay international school fees. Um, But I think they they really do understand that, you know, the great Australian dream is still alive and well. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, talking to overseas candidates when they're uh, they're getting the sponsorship and coming in, it's life changing for them. The places in Africa it can be so unsafe, and um, throughout some of Asia as well. And then you've got America with their lack of gun laws and things like yeah. that. People are just leaving these places. Like we, as much as we all have a bit of a bitch about the nanny state, every now and again, which we all do. It's actually not that bad, peeps. We're doing well. You can walk down the street and not get shot. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of people will, you know, you know, come back with all oh, the housing problem. And there is definitely a housing problem in Australia. And and it's something I, you know, let's let's hope our governments are are working hard on. And do you do, on your sites? Do you build your own accommodation, or is it located out of the site nearby? It's a combination for, for all our sites. So um, WA is on the site. It's in, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, our our Dubbo um, uh, Ningen location is more residential in the town, so they are part of the community. And um, Krakow is a small, very small town in Queensland, and uh, they're, they're predominantly FIFO, drive-in, drive-out. That's what I was going to say. Is the the 
rate of FIFO versus people who are permanently <coughs> on site, does that change depending on what the mine is? Yeah, depending on the site, absolutely. So we do have more of a residential focus in, in New South Wales, um, whilst our WA one is purely FIFO. Yeah. So how do you go um, with your DNI? Um, targets and things like that with women in the mining industry because it's always very much a man-led industry. It is, uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, we we have been looking at it um, quite recently this week, and and we're having some great improvements um, on all our sites actually, and on both female and um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mm. representation, which is really. Um, you know, fantastic to see. What did we do? I don't know if we did anything amazingly different. I think we just put the effort into to really make sure that we were representing um, our workforces through our advertising. We were, you know, looking at those candidates and, and you know, providing that um, promotion to them, to hiring managers and, and also educating our hiring managers on, you know, great recruitment or interviewing skills to make sure that they got the best out of people in those interviews. Yeah, it's really important, isn't it, it is. that the hiring managers are, are being educated because that's where the decisions are being made at the end of the day and also yeah. the culture's been driven by that part of Absolutely. the business Absolutely. Well. And I think, you, you know, I, I, I'm really happy to say that our hiring managers are all for it. They want to that's make good. change. They want to make a difference. So when you've got them on board, it just, you know, makes everything so much easier. Mm. When you've got that business buy-in, you're, you're so right, Anthea. It's... um. Yeah, there's nothing worse than you finding the perfect, well, what you think is the perfect candidate for this role and you get them to the... the bias creeps in, yeah. Oh, the bias creeps in with the hiring manager and then they've got their... I just Googled my 1980 behavioural uh, interview questions. I'll use them. <laughs> I'll use those ones. <laughs> yeah, if they're on Google, they're current. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Google said it's there, it's right. Yeah. Hey, Anthea, quick, this must be a really tough one for you, workforce planning. You mentioned before there's a six to nine month lapse hey, from getting people she's in. She's got it down pat. She did the... Commonwealth Games. I know, but imagine if you're you're going to talk to some hiring managers in a mine and saying, I want to know what you need in six months' time or nine months' time or 12 months' time, and they'll be going, I'm just worried about whether I'm going to get someone driving a, you know, big uh, truck. <laughs> what else do I call them? A big today? truck driving a big a truck. Big truck. <laughs> today. Yeah. You've so, got a job right there. <laughs> yeah, driving a big truck. Um, so we just we just keep that funnel moving. So we are constantly, you know, it's a really basic equation, isn't it? You're putting in as much as possible at the top, and then just getting through the each each level of um, assessment, be it mm. you know that first interview screen through to testing, etc. So that every you know every time a manager's like, oh, we need another one, we've got people at the bottom of the funnel. It, there's no magic to it, unfortunately. Commonwealth Games, there was a lot of magic to it. Um, that workforce planning team really um you know were worth their weight in gold that there was a lot of science behind behind the numbers and when people came on um but i think in mining i'd love to say there was something special about what we did it's just keep that funnel going yeah um i could imagine every time you sort of got to the end of a cycle of a group of people from the philippines or you you're constantly going you're not starting again you've already got absolutely down the go. yeah wow yeah, that's absolutely. huge 
and and just continuing continuing that um, that local hire as well. So really making sure that we keep the the foot on the the pedal um, with our Australian and permanent residents, um, making sure that you know we're giving equal time yeah. to those. It's a lot more searching um, for these people. Um, sometimes it takes a lot longer conversations. It might be you know not that first interview, second, maybe sometimes the third call to get them in. Mm. Um, so it's just keeping that balance right, isn't it? You know. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, and especially when we're we're still hitting candidate short markets as well. It's, Absolutely, um, as we were saying off air earlier, the only market that's not that tight is um, tech at the moment. But even then, it's still slightly tight because those are getting made redundant are getting snapped up real quick. Yeah, it's difficult. Hey, one of the big trends over the last couple of years has been internal mobility. Does anybody that works at your business finish at one mine and go to another one within the same business? Yeah, um, look, hasn't traditionally, um, and maybe because um, Eris has grown um, over the last two years, so our WA um, mine has just come online. It's almost been one year, one year for, oh. as of 1st of July. So, But now we've got those options and I think we'll be seeing more and more of it. Yeah, and I imagine that um, wherever possible internally you'd look to promote internally given how difficult it is to attract people to... Yeah. Absolutely. And there's some roles that naturally lead to that. So our sites generally start, you start as a truck driver mm-hmm. um, on our site mm-hmm. and then you move up to the to the next role. So um, it might be what's called a nipper or service crew. Oh. You might even start doing explosives. What does it mean? So, I can blow shit up. Yeah, she can blow shit up. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you, Lauren, yeah. when you were talking to um, Talis. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you want the blow shit up. I, I think that's what brings people guess in all the time where there's an opportunity to blow shit up. So See, you're just putting your hand up. Is there a theme here? I've got Vicky, I've got Anthea. I just want to blow shit up. Next thing, Wiley Coyote will be on. <laughs> what, what does a nipper do? Oh, gosh. Um, and, and, and they start becoming um, quite physical roles. Um, so they do, yeah, so they're down underground. Um, you know, so if you think of um, being canary. underground, is it's like a big, you know, cave, and there's supports and concreting and mesh, yep, yep. and everything's holding everything up. So when you start moving into those roles, you, you're starting on that journey. Craig, wow. I can just see you underground with your In little yellow canary. I'll be like um, along. Zoolander when he goes back to, with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I can even say that, though. Um, hey, you could graduate to using a stop-slow sign, Craig. <laughs> well, yeah, when I can learn to spell them. Um, <laughs> but it, this is fascinating stuff, though, because I don't think we've had someone on, um, well, especially for the last couple of years, I think we had someone from BHP a number of years ago who talked a little bit about mines. But um, You didn't get to the nitty-gritty, did you? No, this is really, really interesting. Oh. So what would Craig's favourite role be on a mining site? Tuck shop lady. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> or a um, a shotcrete operator. Ooh, so that's that? shooting the putting the concrete up on the walls, so the walls don't fall down. <laughs> oh, and you do it with like a gun, like a little concrete thrower, uh, yeah. like a yeah, yeah. like a, a, a blower vac thing for the leaves. What person wouldn't want to go and work on a mine? But is it tough? Tell me, I'm going to blow shit up. It is. Is a life tough? It is. It is tough. It is very tough. So you know, generally everyone understands that you know, they're 12 hour shifts and and you're working maybe seven days on, seven days off. But, you know, that 12 hour shift, you might start at, you know, 7am and you finish at 7pm, but then you've got to get back. You've got to have dinner. 
yeah. or breakfast. Um, you know, you've got to unwind, you've got to get to bed, and then you've got to be up early again the next morning. Um, so it is hard. Mm. You're away from your family. Yeah. I've it's got- Christmas and you're working. Um, yeah. Mine's a 24-7. It, it's a tough life. I've got a couple of mates who – who both live in the Sunshine Coast, who've been doing FIFO work on mines for I, I, 10 plus years and they love it. And they yes. start, and both of them started with no real um, trade or skill. So yep. they've, you know, they've learned. You'd fit in well then. But, they, but they're in senior roles now. They've got, they've, there was, you know, there's so much yeah. opportunity and they, mm. they love it probably because, and I won't, oh, they don't listen. Maybe they don't like their wives that much. <laughs> <laughs> One way of getting away from the family. And providing at the same time, it's a win-win. It's a win-win, absolutely. And and I think the wives feel exactly the same way. Yeah, thank God. We've had him. He's been home for six days. Please go back to your next year. I've got a girlfriend in um, Perth who actually is a FIFO worker, and she loves it. Has been for about. What does she do? Um, I'm going to say bobcat type things and fixing conveyor belt type things. I don't know exactly what they are, but she did describe it to me over many mimosas by a swimming pool when we were day drinking. She would have been able to afford (laughs) to pay for it all. She would have been shouting. She makes lots. Yeah, yeah, that's a a freaking lootly. Hey, Anthea, it's been amazing talking to you today and learning more about, God, first Com Games and then the real nitty-gritty on mining. And Prince Andrew's sweatiness. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We got to cover everything today, didn't we? We have gone full circle today. You are welcome back anytime, Anthea. (laughs) This has been awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much to meet you. Yeah, and thanks so much for spending time with us today. And on that note, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from everyone. Bye-bye. Today's episode was brought to you by JobAdder. Most of us already know or use JobAdder for finding great talent faster. But what you probably don't know, Lauren, is all the exciting stuff in the pipeline. So to get the inside scoop, join us on the 18th of May when we sit down with JobAdder's head of product, Tom Dyson. As a job adder user myself, I'm excited for what's to come. So make sure you tune in wherever you get your favourite podcast from. And build, nurture and search your talent pools with ease using Job Adder. Discover more at jobadder.com and don't forget to tell them, Tarpod sent you. Thanks for listening to Tarpod and please don't forget to subscribe. And make sure you listen to the outtakes at the end of the episode. They're usually the best bit. Apparently, we're coming through the loudspeaker through the whole office. Yep. Oh, awesome. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just me, actually, because I'm the one who got the laptop connected to the iTunes, which is all connected to the Thunderboom, and uh, it just goes on. (laughs) How are you? Nothing's private here, Anthea. (laughs) You've been, yeah.